BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Welcome to the Hornets Hivecast, presented by Charlotte Eye, Ear, Nose, and Throat Associates, the official eye, ear, nose, and throat care provider of the Charlotte Hornets. Here's your host, Sam Farber. Welcome to another edition of the Hornets Hivecast, your Hornets podcast with all the notes, quotes, and daily buzz around your favorite NBA team. I'm Sam Farber, and it is a pleasure and a privilege to have you with us here once again on the Hornets Hivecast, brought to you by Senta, Charlotte Eye, Ear, Nose, and Throat Associates, the official eye, ear, nose, and throat care provider of the Charlotte Hornets. It's a silver lining edition, but man, there's some good silver linings to this one. Hornets fall 125 to 118 to the Memphis Grizzlies number three team in the West, third best overall record in the NBA. Charlotte dug itself a 35-point hole but fought their way out of it to make it a two-possession game. Do fall short 125-118. to We will analyze the game, hand out our silver linings, also hand out some trade grades or our analysis of some trade grades based off the Montrez Herald deal. Why the NBA world didn't get as excited as I think they should have been about this addition here to the Hornets. And we're going to look at how good the Eastern Conference is We are roughly two-thirds of the way through the season. Only 24 games remain. What is the prognosis for the future here for Buzz City? Helping me on all these topics, he's my producer on the Hornets Radio Network, Rob Longo, here with us once again. And Rob, a tough one, 125 to 118, the final score. I said it entering the fourth quarter. Charlotte was down by 24. I quickly checked the numbers. The most the Hornets won a fourth quarter by this season was 25. So I was saying there was a chance. Uh, Hornets gave it a good run, but end up falling seven short. So only made up a 17 when they needed the 25. But a, a great effort, a great atmosphere at Spectrum Center, a great game, and some great momentum heading into the remainder of the schedule. If we rewind it all the way back to halftime, we were talking at the break, and I said, talk me off the ledge a little bit here. Give me some hope. And sure enough, the Hornets almost came through. And, you know, it was almost a historic comeback, too. I looked it up. The biggest comeback in Hornets history was 24-point deficit. That was against Milwaukee back in 2014 very early in the season, so they almost pulled off an historic comeback as well. Plenty of players coming in through in the clutch in that second half. I mean, anytime you're able to put up 43 points in a quarter, heck, the Hornets had 43 points in the first half alone. They were able to put up 43 in the fourth quarter as it was, so just 
again, I mentioned it at the end of the broadcast yesterday. You can't win a game in the first quarter. You can certainly lose it. That happened to Charlotte, getting outscored 36-15 to in the first frame. And I said it once again, too. The Hornets didn't lose last night. They just kind of ran out of time because momentum was on their side. Everybody started heating up. It just felt like if that game was at another maybe three, four minutes that Charlotte was going to complete that comeback. It was a great atmosphere, a great game, and a great fight. And look, Memphis is really really good. To sweep the Memphis Grizzlies in a season series would have been quite the accomplishment given how young and fiery and aggressive and explosive that team is led by John Morant. I thought Charlotte really exposed a lot of things about what they can do. Those bigs performed very, very well. I like the bigger lineups. I like the freedom that adding Montrez Harrell has given to players like P.J. Washington and Mason Plumlee to be the best versions of themselves on both sides of the floor. Mason Plumlee is not a 20-point per game type of center. He is a screen setter. He is a glass crasher. He is a big man who can do all the little things for your team, and those things are being accentuated even more so now. P.J. Washington, he's always going to be at a size disadvantage if he's playing a small ball five and has to defend against a Steven Adams. But if he's playing off the ball, he can certainly swat Steven Adams' shot into the second deck, and he did that a couple of times last night for the Hornets. So I, I thought a really good game. Charlotte does fall to 29-29. and 29. Memphis now 40-18. and 18. That's a really, really good team over there, but a lot of good things to take away here from the Hornets. Before we get to our silver linings, you know, a lot of the focus for this loss is going to go to the poor shooting in the first half. And they did. All right. They were four for 22 in the first half from three. That's 18%, which is a huge upgrade from the first quarter where they were 0 for everything. They had a terrible first quarter shooting the basketball. There's no getting around that. But they did shoot better in the second half. But I don't think that's the only thing to focus on here. Charlotte left a lot of meat on the bone in that first half. There were a lot of hustle stats that they were opening up opportunities and not cashing them in. First half, 12 first half offensive boards for Charlotte. They only got six points out of that. Eight first half forced turnovers that they forced out of the Memphis Grizzlies. They only got two points out of those. You fast forward to the second half, they got half the offensive rebound, six offensive boards, turned it into 10 points. They got nine Memphis turnovers in the second half, roughly the same amount. They scored 16 off those. So not all turnovers are the same. A lot more live ball turnovers versus dead ball turnovers in the second half. I think Charlotte did a much better job of capitalizing on opportunities. And oh yeah, it helps that they shot 43% from deep in the second half too. But there's more to it than just shooting. And for the most part, this slump, I think the focal point has been rightfully placed on the shooting. This is a game against a really good team that there was more at stake for the Hornets than just how they shot the basketball. Well, keep in mind, too, let's circle back to it a little bit, is that Memphis is an extremely good team. They're one of the top teams in the West. I know the Western Conference as a whole is a little down this year, and we'll get to all of that stuff a little bit later on here in the podcast, but they still have an all-star in John Morant. They have a really dominant big in Steven Adams, who, by the way, fouled out in the fourth quarter. And once he fouled out, this game kind of turned a little bit in favor of the Hornets. I mean, when you take a look back at it, Steven Adams fouled out at the 727 mark of the fourth frame, and that was when the Hornets really started to go on their run, and they got a couple of other players in foul trouble as well. So this Memphis team is really good. You got John Morant that had 26 last night. Desmond Bain had 25. I mentioned him on the podcast yesterday as a guy to keep an eye on for players to watch, and I didn't want to call him a second fiddle for that exact reason, that he was able to pour in 25 points. And keep in mind, too, not to make excuses, but this was the second night of a back-to-back for the Hornets. They had to go to Detroit the night before, fly back in. Memphis was already here waiting for him in that sense, too, because the Grizzlies had two days off before this. So as much as you didn't want to chalk this up as a schedule loss, 
It kind of is, in a sense. Yeah, the pregame show guys made a good point that the Hornets didn't have to use as many minutes against Detroit because they had control of that game. And that's true, and it's a fair point. But it's kind of like saying, hey, you uh, had to do an Ironman race, and the day before you only had to run a marathon versus back-to-back Ironman. Like, yes, it it is a little easier. It's still a back-to-back. Memphis was still waiting here in Charlotte for the Hornets rather than the other way around. All right, let's go to Silver Linings. Rob Longo, you're officially the guest. You go first. I got to go with the energy guy off the bench. I got to go with Montrez Harrell. Rebound. JT Thor gives it to Booknight. Booknight lob for Harrell, and he reverse dunks it down for a Dr. Pepper dunk. Eight for Harrell. Hornets down 22. Quality, 29 minutes off the bench. He finishes with 20 points, nine big rebounds, couple of assists sprinkling in there as well. And I mentioned this at the end of the broadcast yesterday. It got to the point there late in the fourth quarter where Memphis was starting to double him. I don't know the last time the Montrezl Harrell got doubled, but I'm sure it's been a while. But it was mostly because of just the energy that he was able to bring. There was a little bit of a dust up there with some of John Morant's cronies in the crowd there. And there was a little bit of jawing back and forth. And that really revved up Montrez just a little bit more. You mentioned it on the broadcast too. I think he said, I don't think I want to tick off Montrez Harrell. He's the last guy that I want to tick off. So uh, it almost held true. I mean, it's just another motivational factor. I know we'll get into trades and everything like that a little bit later, but how can you not love what Montrez Harrell has been able to do for this Hornets team the first two games that he's been in purple and teal? No question. Yeah, we'll talk more about it, but I, I think it's not just what Montrez brings on his own. It's what he allows for the other bigs on this roster to do. And I mentioned it during the broadcast a couple of times. You know, JB's had this reputation for wanting to play small. I think we got to shift that. It's not that he wants to play small. He wants to play fast. And traditional centers traditionally can't do that. And Mason Plumlee doesn't really fit into the mold of a traditional center. Well, he does fit into the mold. He is the size of a traditional center. But athletically, he is a different kind of cat. I mean, he's someone who can get up and down the floor. He's just okay being the screen setter rather than the finisher. But he can finish out there. So I like what this opens up. It, it takes some of the pressure off Mason Plumlee to have to stay on the floor, to have to stay out of foul trouble. Take some of the pressure off P.J. Washington to have to defend as the backup center whoever that monstrous big is, whether it's an Andre Drummond or a Jaron Jackson, whoever it is. He doesn't have to have that assignment quite so much. It just opens up a lot of opportunity. So I like it. Not lost on me that in last night's game, Montrez Harrell was a plus four and Mason Plumley was a plus six. And they played a lot of minutes together, but clearly the minutes they were on the floor, either together or individually, were better for the Hornets than when neither center was out there and available for James Borrego's Hornets. My silver lining player, I'm going with Terry Rozier. Rozier up the floor. Rozier, he'll let it fly. Wing three, no. Offensive board, Plumley back to Rozier. Corner three, yes, sir! Spectrum Center just exploded for the first time tonight. 29 for Rozier. It's a 12-point game. Terry would end up with a season-high tying 35 when no one was shooting well for the Hornets. Terry did. Really worked hard to keep this team alive, keep their chances alive, keep their spirits alive in this one. He was just outstanding. He had a 12-point third quarter, a 9-point fourth quarter with three big threes. I'm sure there's a couple of shots in there he'd like to have back. He didn't shoot his best game, 6 of 17 from three, but he shot a really good one. And again, he, he kept his team in it like everything we saw out there from Terry Rozier, 41 41- big minutes and 
Let me throw this in there. He is still averaging a triple-double since Montrez Harrell has arrived on the scene. Not only that, he's averaging 30 points per game, 10 rebounds per game, 10 assists per game. That kind of triple-double. Great effort last night from Terry Rozier. Coming up next, we're going to talk trade grades. A lot of the experts out there have given their instant analysis of the Montrez Harrell to Charlotte deal. What do we think of their analysis? We'll talk about that next here on the Hornets Hivecast, brought to you by Senta. I'm not anti-aging. I'm pro-looking my best. Getting cosmetic surgery at Charlotte Eye, Ear, Nose, and Throat Associates has me looking young again and filled with the confidence I need to take on the day. From Botox to rhinoplasty to facelifts, Senta offers facial plastic surgery from specially trained eye and ENT doctors who are familiar with how all parts of the face work. Feel like you once did. Schedule your appointment today at ceenta.com slash appointments. Charlotte Eye, Ear, Nose, and Throat Associates. They just make sense. To Harrell. Harrell rises up off the contact, gets it to go through, plus the foul. Montrez Harrell, the new addition to the Queen City, and he has really uh, made a name for himself early. We asked him when he arrived in Charlotte what his hometown really was, because there's, I guess, some confusion out there. Is he from Tarboro? Is he from a neighboring town? He said, I'm from North Carolina. We said, Yeah, but where do you want us to say you're from? I'm from North Carolina. He's representing the state very, very well. Uh, Montrez Harrell, huge impact in his first two games in purple and teal. Sam Farber, Rob Longo here with you on the Hornets Hivecast. The trade was given a B- by Zach Harper of The Athletic. He does a lot of the power rankings. He does a lot of the instant analysis of trades. He tends to look back a year later. I'm not sure what the impact is going to be a year from now because, quite honestly, in terms of non-expiring or potential expiring assets, the only thing that was given up was a second rounder by the Hornets and Vernon Carey. So you you could look at that depending on how that pick and Vernon Carey ends up being years from now and, and analyze it that way. Way. On the other hand, Montrez Harrell is a huge shot in the arm for this team offensively, defensively at the big man and post positions. I think he brings a lot and brings a better opportunity to make the playoffs than the Hornets had 48 hours prior. And we will talk about where the Hornets sit in the standings right now, but I don't think there's any question this is a better team now for the here and now than they were a couple of days ago. That said, Zach Harper gave it a B-. His reasoning was that the overall defensive reputation for Montrez Harrell is not that great. He had a very good defensive season with Washington, and Harper's analysis said, I don't know if that's because there's been a huge improvement from Montrez or because he's working under Wes Unsell Jr., who is a really good defensive coach, and maybe he put some new schemes in there that helped make Montrez look better than he might actually be defensively. Based off a couple of games, I think the energy and the effort for Montrez Harrell certainly speaks to what kind of impact he can have. So I think that's an unnecessarily low grade. First off, in terms of identifying how good Montrez is, and also what he means to this Hornets team, the amount of opportunity it opens up for Plumlee and for Washington and this entire roster, the way he fits in here, and what he can give to Charlotte in terms of the potential to make the playoffs. I think this is a huge deal for Charlotte, so I thought that grade was a little low. Rob Longo, what do you think of it? Well, I'm going to poo-poo all over it if it's a (laughs) B-minus, but I mean, like I said in the first segment, it's just kind of, what more could you want from Montrezl Harrell in his first two games in a Hornets uniform? Because if you want to take away all of the notion that Trez is not a good defensive player, that he's undersized at center, throw that all out the window and just take a look at his leadership. 
Terry Rozier talked about it after the game yesterday about how, you know, it's not every day that you get a guy that comes into a new team and talks about he's in the huddle talking. He's leading the huddle when he's talking. That doesn't happen all the time. Some players might be more vocal than others, but Montrez comes in and he is vocal from the get-go. And that is something that this Hornets team really needed with that leadership. And Trez talked about it after the game yesterday as well as with the exception of Mason Plumley and... Terry and Gordon Hayward, he's one of the older guys on his team now all of a sudden at the ripe old age of 28, which, you know, sinks my heart a little bit too since I'll be 29 in a couple months. But at any rate, (laughs) rate, it's just one of those things where Trez has this vocal leadership. He's in his native North Carolina. Things were not going the way that they were planned in Washington this season. He was very vocal about that in the way that the Wizards franchise has struggled the last couple of months. And this is a new shot for him as well. This is a fresh start for him. He's able to come in, contribute right away. And the play has been excellent. I mean, he's just such a high energy guy, rallies the team around him. I mean, like I mentioned in that first segment, he got doubled how many times there in the fourth quarter going down the stretch, and that opened up the floor for everything. We talked about so much about how this acquisition is a trickle-down effect with guys like P.J. Washington, James Booknight getting some more minutes now that Ish Smith has been moved on to the Washington Wizards as well. Then you got even guys like Nick Richards because Vernon Carey is no longer in the pipeline. So it gives some of these younger centers some opportunity, whether that's in Greensboro or up here with the big league club in Charlotte. It's a trickle-down effect, and with that said, yesterday too, getting doubled, kicking the ball across the court, finding the open man for a three, which more oftentimes than not was Terry Rozier. LaMelo Ball had some threes in there as well. It's just a really good trade already. It's already paying dividends through two games. I know they're one and one in those two games, but regardless of that, it brings Charlotte some momentum going into the All-Star break, which is what they desperately needed after a six-game losing streak. Just so you know, for some perspective here, Zach Harper gave no A's or A-pluses. He gave a few A-minuses. He gave both sides of the Ben Simmons, James Harden, Sixers, and Nets mega deal an A-minus. He thought the Pelicans did well acquiring C.J. McCollum, Larry Nance Jr., and Tony Snell for Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Hart, Sadoransky, as well as a few picks. He liked the Knicks getting Cam Reddish and Solomon Hill. He liked Utah and bringing Nikhil Alexander-Walker over to their side in a three-team deal with San Antonio and Portland. There's a lot of deals he liked. I am surprised that as good a fit as this seems to be, that it did not draw a bigger grade. Also for the fact that this is exactly what we have heard people saying Charlotte was missing. Now, most of the time they say they want a rim protector, but just more depth at the center position is supposedly, allegedly, the missing ingredient for Charlotte. And that's exactly what was added. I like the deal. I like it a lot more than Zach Harper did of The Athletic, but we'll see how it all pans out. Coming up next, the Hornets are still sitting in ninth place in the East. They have lost now seven of their last eight games. They're not tumbling as far as the Brooklyn Nets have in the last three weeks or so here, but they have taken a a little bit of a fall in the standings. How good is the Eastern Conference? How good are the Hornets right now? We'll dig into that as we roll along here on the Hornets Hivecast. Hornets fans, it's time to get some new gear. The best selection of new and classic Hornets apparel is at the Hornets Fan Shop, now with new extended hours. Stop by Spectrum Center Wednesday through Saturday from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. to pick up the latest in jerseys, Jordans, and more. Or you can shop from the comfort of your own home 24-7 with just a click of a button at HornetsFanshop.com. An easy trip on the light rail, you'll be sure to find something for everyone at the Hornets Fan Shop. 
Sam Farber, Rob Longo here with you on the HHC. Hornets suffering a 125-118 loss to the Memphis Grizzlies despite outscoring the visitors 43-26 in the fourth quarter. If only they had scored more than 43 in the first half, things might have turned out a bit differently. Still, a good push to the finish line, a good effort. Hornets now have a couple of days off today, included tomorrow. We'll have a feature edition of the HHC, digging a little more into the trade deadline and how the Hornets have improved themselves Uh, with a lead writer covering the NBA from USA Today, leaving a little suspense for now on who we're going to have on, but we'll have a special guest for tomorrow's edition of the Hornets Hivecast. Rob Longo, we are 58 games into an 82-game season, a little bit more than two-thirds of the way through, and Charlotte sits at 500. It is a bit frustrating that this is where they are. They've lost five straight home games, the shooting slump. They never come at a good time, um, but this certainly wasn't a good time for the Hornets to have one. So they sit at 29-29 and with 24 games from remaining there are more home games then road games remaining, four more home games, then road games remaining. So that's good news. They'll play 14 inside the Hive Spectrum Center, 10 away from home. But putting that to the side for the moment, the 500 record. Yes, it's ninth place in the East, and that's going to be the focal point where they finish on the standings line. But I think you have to keep that in perspective. A 500 win percentage right now would be a top eight spot in the West, and pretty safely in the top eight, I would add, too, right now. They'd be a game up on the L.A. Clippers and a lot more than that on everybody else. If you look back last season, 500 record would be the seventh spot. It'd be seventh place in the East in 2020 when there was no playing tournament. You'd be a top eight seed in 2019 and 2017. You'd be the sixth seed in 2015 when the East wasn't as good. The East is really good and really deep right now, and I think there are 10 excellent and probably 12 solid teams still remaining in the Eastern Conference East after all the trades. So there's no shame in being in ninth. I think the Hornets are going to make a serious push to move higher, but I think we have to keep it in perspective on how good the Hornets are at 500 and what that means in a much deeper Eastern Conference. When you take a look at these conferences, I would say maybe 10 of these teams in the East are solid. I would knock them down a little bit just because of the results that happened yesterday with Washington and New York. Just the Knicks do not look good right now. When you take a look at the Western Conference, I would say there's maybe eight solid teams in the West. The Lakers are now five games below 500. The Clippers are two games below 500 in that eight spot you talked about. But I think if the Clippers are able to get some people back, they might be a little bit better. They're not playing with Paul George or Kawhi Leonard. Again, Kawhi is still a big question mark this season. Minnesota's been playing well, and then you get into that top six in the West. So the Western Conference right now is top heavy. you got the big dogs like Phoenix, like Golden State, not going to be able to put Memphis in there quite yet. But then you go to the Eastern Conference, and it's a lot of solid teams. Miami is very solid. Chicago is very solid. Cleveland is a huge surprise that has been extremely solid. Milwaukee, Philly, all those teams are extremely solid. And they've done it different ways. you got the process with Philadelphia. You've got Chicago making a splash in the offseason market with a lot of free agents. you got Miami that did a couple of sign-in trades as well in the offseason. So, you know, the Eastern Conference, even though the records might not be impressive as a Phoenix, as a Golden State, it's definitely the conference that has a little bit more parity, but that's because there's a lot more better teams in that East. Yeah, I would agree with you there. The East does have a lot more parity. I mean, you just look at the standings right now. Even the elite teams, the Miamis, the Chicagos, they're separated by three games, which is a week. You have a bad week as Miami. You are now no longer with home court advantage in the Eastern Conference opening round playoffs. Similarly, Philadelphia, for all the turmoil they've gone through, they have one more good week. They could end 
up in a top four seed rather easily. So yeah, I, I would agree with you there. There does seem to be some separation right now. The top five have pulled away a little bit. The next grouping is Toronto, Boston, Brooklyn, and Charlotte's just kind of hanging on there. Charlotte can still make a push at this, which moves me to our final point here of this podcast. We're 58 games in. There's 24 games left. Now, in terms of strength of schedule, you can compare Charlotte to Brooklyn and Toronto and Boston. The numbers seem to indicate that the Hornets are at best about even with Boston and Brooklyn in terms of strength of schedule remaining. Toronto appears to have the easiest. It's really negligible. The bottom line for me is this. Montrezl Harrell has provided a boost. There's only two games in the remaining schedule that really make me nervous if it was like, this is the one game the Hornets have to win to make the playoffs. I don't like the scenario very much. They've got a back-to-back where they've got to travel to Milwaukee. That's not the easiest thing in the world to do. And they've got a back-to-back where night two is at Chicago. That is also a difficult set of circumstances. They're not impossible, but if you're looking at it and saying, you must win this game to make the playoffs... I wouldn't pick either of those as the one I would I would want to have as the must-have. But there's certainly possible wins out there, and we'll see what momentum looks like for the Hornets. Outside of that, I don't count the Hornets out of anything. I think home court advantage is very much alive now with Montrez Harrell back in the fold. The fact that they've got four extra home games than road games from here on out, I like that set of circumstances as well. I said at the preseason that the team could win 44 games. I realize right now that they're going to have to go 15-9 and nine to get there, but I think that's very much doable with what remains for the Hornets' schedule. Yeah. Yeah, when you take a look at the tougher teams that they still have to play, you got Miami on the schedule twice. You know, you mentioned that Chicago game, mentioned Milwaukee as well, Cleveland, Philly each time, one more time. But then you got, you know, some other teams that they still haven't played. They still haven't played the Pelicans yet. There's still two Pelicans games out there. I know they're a little bit of a better team now with C.J. McCollum in the fold there, and you don't know what exactly is going on with Zion Williamson. And then you still got to play the Knicks twice. I know we talked about, you know, how New York is still one of those upper echelon teams, which we can agree to disagree there. But those are still winnable games, obviously, by no stretch of the imagination. Still got Detroit once, and you still got Orlando once. So there's definitely some winnable games out there overall. And then you take a look at the Eastern Conference as a whole. I know they're starting to lose ground on teams like Milwaukee and Chicago, but those two teams have some of the hardest schedules remaining. Milwaukee still has to play Golden State, still have to play Phoenix, Memphis once. They still got to play the Bulls. The Bulls and the Bucks, they still got to play three times against each other, and they're a divisional opponent. So a little bit of a back-end heavy schedule for those two teams. So overall, I'm not saying that the Hornets are going to you know, rise and go on this crazy winning streak and get to a top-four seed or anything like that, but when you take a look at everybody else in the Eastern Conference, they still have some really difficult games to play as well. So it's one of those things where you just don't really look at the schedule right now. You just kind of control what you can control and move on from there. Well, the next thing for the Hornets to try and control is their next opponent. They do get a couple of days off to rest up and uh, and have the rest advantage when they head to Minnesota. Timberwolves are going to be playing today, Super Bowl Sunday. They'll be visiting Indiana. Then they'll come home. Normal rest for them one day off, then back on to take on Charlotte. Minnesota, they're a better team than they've been in the past. They're still solidly top seven, but all year long they've kind of been like Sisyphus pushing that boulder up the hill. Every time they get a, a little bit of a smidgen above 500, they get hit with a losing streak. I mean, early in the season, they were 3-1, and one, and then immediately they dropped like six in a row. Then they fight their way back. They get to 11-10 and 10 after reeling off six out of seven, and they lose five in a row. And then they fight their way back to 500. They lose five of the next six. So every time they seem to nose above 500, something bad happens. Right now, coming into today's game, they're 29-27. and 27. They've lost 
lost two in a row after a five-game win streak. So maybe uh, the boulder is going to fall back on Sisyphus here and the Hornets can get a good road win over a solid Timberwolves team. Last but not least, Rob, I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't ask you this. It's Super Bowl Sunday. Who you got? You're a Pittsburgh guy, so as I a, know who you got. As a diehard Steelers fan, you're always taught the enemy of my enemy is my best friend. So I really want to root for the Rams, but something tells me that the Bengals are going to come out. Something about a quarterback named Joe from the Rust Belt is going to come out and shock the world a la Super Bowl three with Joe Namath. So Broadway Joe Part 2 is probably going to strike and the Bengals are going to win somehow. As a uh, Niners fan, I'm going to tell you that I think the Rams are going to get it. I, I love Aaron Donald. How can you not? One of the best. Defensive, He's a Pittsburgh guy. One of the best defense. He was. He, he was a Pittsburgh guy. Is a Pittsburgh guy. One of the best defensive players of all time. He's deserving of a ring. I got a feeling this Rams team. Uh, they they put up a good fight. Overcame my Niners, and uh, they're in the Super Bowl. I think the Bengals are a little young, so I think the Rams are going to take it home. We'll see. It'll be an exciting Super Bowl Sunday. And in case you hadn't heard, Terry Rozier almost had a triple double. He did have a double double yesterday. So half price pizza for all of you. Use the code Hornets on your Domino's order if you're living in North Carolina, the General Charlotte area. And and uh, get yourself some discounted pizza for today's Super Bowl action. Rob Longo, thank you as always for joining me today on the Hornet Sivecast. Fun as always. And thanks to all of you for tuning in as well. Again, tomorrow, off-day edition, but never an off-day for the Hornets. We'll have a special feature interview, and then the following day we'll be previewing Hornets at Minnesota, the next game, second-to-last game for the Hornets before the All-Star break. Till next time, for my broadcast partner Rob Longo and everyone here, I'm Sam Farber saying it's been a pleasure and a privilege having you along, and we'll talk to you next time right here on the Hornets Hivecast. Thank you for listening to the Hornets Hivecast brought to you by Senta, the official eye, ear, nose, and throat care provider of the Charlotte Hornets. For more coverage, visit hornets.com.